welcome to the Fossil Huntress podcast. Today on the show, we're going to fly over Canada to the very west coast and go just off the coast between Vancouver Island and the coast of British Columbia to two of the most beautiful and glorious of the northern Gulf Islands. For today's virtual fossil field trip, I'm going to get you to fly wherever you are, virtually, in the world, into the Vancouver International Airport. Kathleen Beatty, if you're listening, I personally invite you. So close your eyes, fly into our airport, which is in Richmond, just south of the city. I'll swing by and pick you up, and we'll head to my place in Kitsilano, where we'll prep our gear for a trip to Hornby Island. Hornby's a beach site, so like any good beach site, you want to check the tide tables before you go. And if you are heading there, I have the tide tables. Anything I have to look up more than a couple of times, I throw on the right-hand bar of my Archaea blog. So if you're headed out to Hornby or the coast of Dorset, put the tide tables um, in your cell and mark them on your calendar. I can think of probably at least three, but probably a good dozen people I know that if you went into their kitchen and you looked at their calendar or you looked in their cell phone, they would have all the good low tides booked in their calendar because it's the best time to collect. As well as giving you greater access to more exposures and the tips of those exposures where there's more turbulent ocean activity to kind of erode away the surface and expose more concretions or just delicious layers of fossils, it'll also keep you safe. So on Hornby, you just retreat with the tide and sometimes I've had an ammonite or two that I've needed to work out in, you know, a couple of inches of water as the tide comes racing in. But in some cases, like Clallam on uh, the Olympic Peninsula and the coast of England, it can be a it can be a rescue by Coast Guard event if you don't check the tides and you're and you're not mindful of them. So you always want to check the tides. And now we're going to pack the gear in our car and what to bring to Hornby. It's a beach site, and if it were summer, I'd probably wear my little uh, Merrells or my sailing shoes because I don't mind getting wet. Um, but it's fall, so we'll check low tides and we'll wear big rubber boots down to the beach site. It is a site that I tend to get really muddy at because I'm, I'm often swinging a pick or a hammer into... Um, a sloppy, wet, silty water as I dig things out. So uh, bring a change of clothes and a hat. Keep yourself warm, dry, fed, and file a trip plan. And once we've got all the goodies in the car, we'll check our hammers. I like to bring a two or three pound sledge to Hornby. If you're going to be cracking open concretions, so a concretion is where an animal or a shell has um, exchanged some of their chemical structure with the rock around them and it rolls into a ball and we've got to crack those open to get to the fossils inside and hornbees littered with concretions so you don't want to be going tink 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 with a little hammer you want to give it one good smack with a bigger hammer and I also bring my trusty rock pick to the site because you're often digging those concretions out so that you can crack them open. For us to get out collecting the Northumberland Formation on Hornby, we're going to head out of the city of Vancouver, over to North Van, crossing the Capilano River with the Three Brothers Formation and a bunch of mashed Cretaceous plants there if we stopped, through West Van, up to Horseshoe Bay, 
where we'll take a ferry across the Strait of Georgia heading east to the western edge of Vancouver Island in the city of Nanaimo. From Nanaimo, we'll head north. We'll pass Parksville and Qualicum Beach, through Bowser and Fanny Bay with delicious oysters, all the way to Buckley Bay, where we'll take a ferry over to Denman Island, a little, um, a short ferry just to the west, and one of two of the Gulf Islands, the northern Gulf Islands. We're going to drive across Denman and take the ferry over to Hornby Island. When we get to Hornby, we want to head to the northern edge of the island to Collishaw Point. So it's known as Boulder Point to the locals, but it's here that the 72 million year old sediments of the Northumberland Formation are exposed along the beach. Hornby is a gorgeous place to collect, even in its own right, even without the fossils. The beach here is um, beautiful, beautiful, and the fossils often contain or often retain some of their original shell or nacre, which makes them quite fetching. And we find gastropods, shark's teeth, fossil crabs, baculites, other bivalves. Um, we find a really crazy gastropod called Tessarolix, which I've never successfully taken out whole. And it is a beautiful place to collect. Hornby is formed from sediments of the Upper Nanaimo group. And we also see these exposed over on Denman Island, just to the east, or I guess just to the west, depending on where you're standing, and in the Southern Gulf Islands. And it's covered in a thick layer of this Nanaimo group, um, maybe about 1,300 meters of sandstone, conglomerate, and shale. And these are partially exposed in the Campanian to Lower Maastrichtian outcrops at Collishaw Point on the northwest side of Hornby. Four formations underlie the island from the oldest to youngest and from the west to the east, the Northumberland, Joffrey, Spray, and Gabriola. So how did these sediments on Hornby arrive there? How did they get there? During the Upper Cretaceous, so 90 million to 65 million years ago, sediments from the coast belt just to the east and from the Cascades to the southeast poured seaward to the west and the northwest into what was a large ancestral Georgia basin. And this major basin was situated between Vancouver Island and the mainland of British Columbia. Hornby is a very green island, both in the practices of those who live here and in the mixed forest that covers the land. We see large conifers, the western red cedar and western hemlock, grand fir, lodgepole pine. You also see examples of the smaller Pacific yew, which is a smaller evergreen that's been used by First Nations carvers for millennia to make bows and paddles for canoe. Many of the most spectacular specimens on the island are arbutus, the arbutus menzii, which grow along the water's edge. These lovely evergreens have a rich orange-red bark that peels away in thin sheets, leaving a greenish, silvery smooth appearance and a, and a satin sheen. Arbutus is a broadleaf evergreen, and it's the, when I picture a tree on Hornby, it's this tree I picture. So Hornby has its fair share of broadleaf deciduous trees, big leaf maples, red alder, black cottonwood, um, my father's favorite, the Pacific flowering dogwood, and beautiful willows that thrive there. 
Villains, tyrants, and heroes alike are all immortalized in the scientific literature of this species on Hornby. If you pick through the literature, it's a who's who of moneyed explorers literally making a name for themselves and sometimes at a great cost to their rivals. And this plays out beautifully when you look through the literature and the species that you find on Hornby Island. Most of the trees you see on the island are Douglas fir, Pseudosuga menzii, an evergreen conifer species in the pine family. And the common name is a nod to the Scottish botanist, Douglas, uh, David Douglas, who collected and first reported on this large evergreen. But sadly for Douglas, it's Archibald Menzies, a Scottish physician, botanist, and naturalist, and David's arch rival, whose name is commemorated for science. He's also credited with the scientific name for the lovely arbutus trees. Menzies was part of the Vancouver expedition, which ran roughly 1791 to 1795, a four and a half year voyage of exploration commanded by Captain George Vancouver of the British Royal Navy. The British Royal Navy's voyage built on the work of James Cook. Cook was arguably the first ship's captain to ensure his crew remained scurvy free, for which I applaud him, by a practice of nutritious meals, those containing ascorbic acid, also known as vitamin C, and meticulous standards for onboard hygiene. And though he did much to lower his mortality rate amongst his crew, he also made some terrible decisions that led to his early demise. He was attacked and killed in 1779 during the third exploratory voyage in the Pacific while attempting to kidnap, which is never a good idea, the island of Hawaii's monarch. During their four and a half year voyage, the Vancouver expedition, the crew and officers did some remarkably great mapping, but they also bickered amongst themselves. There were some class issues and some um, ego issues on board. So they circumnavigated the globe and touched down on five continents, not knowing that for many of them, it would be the last voyage they would ever take. When they returned to England, they found a Britain more interested in its ongoing war than in the Pacific explorations that they'd been up to. Um, Captain Vancouver was attacked politically by the well-connected Menzies, who you'll recall, um, if you look at species names on our Hornby Island and our, our Gulf Coast, uh, um, Gulf Island species, you'll see his name everywhere. So Menzies accused Vancouver of various slights and then Vancouver, uh, Captain Vancouver was challenged to a duel by Thomas Pitt, the second Baron of Camelford, spurred on by Menzies' allegations. So the fellow for whom the fair city of Vancouver is named never did actually complete his um, cartographical work. With failing health and nerves eroded and a lost duel in his life, it was Peter Puget, uh, whose name adorns Puget Sound, who completed Vancouver's and arguably Cook's work on the mapping of our world and the mapping of the Gulf Islands and Hornby Island, or at least that early work until others like Peter Mustard took up the challenge. We talked a little bit about the heroes, villains, and tyrants in the early exploration of Hornby Island and the Gulf Islands and those who gave their names to the extant species. 
But when I think about a hero of the paleontological resources on Hornby, I think of Graham Beard. Graham is the founder and chair of the Vancouver Island Museum Foundation, and he's also one of the most amazing humans on the planet. He and Tina live in Qualicum Beach, and I remember one of the very first times I went to visit them, and uh, Graham welcomed me into the little cabin man cave, fossil man cave he has behind the house. Um, Tina's a smart woman and she loves her fossils, but I think after the first several dozen, she probably said something like, you know, Graham, move those out of here. And I walked into this room and it was just filled with ammonites. So like every shelf, every drawer, every inch of space, you had to kind of wiggle through the room um, to work your way through it. And when he saw my face, he just said, I'll leave you. And he closed the door. I probably was in there for about three hours just pouring through the specimens. So when I think of Hornby and I think of Kalashaw, I think it should be renamed Graham Beard Point. Now, Graham has been collecting on Hornby, certainly um, through the 90s and 80s, but uh, he's known about the site since university days, and I think he's been collecting there at least since the 70s. He has found, certainly on record, the greatest number of ammonites. He's found birds, crabs, a variety of other organisms, and he's even found a tylosaur, a mighty marine reptile um, related to the mosasaurus. And a few years back, back to the, the funny, funny school of naming, the nomenclature rules of, of uh, science, generally when you find a species, if gods be good, you get a chance to name it. And Sharon Hubbard, who's a member of the Vancouver Island Paleo Society, found a specimen on Hornby that looked very much like a pterosaur, um, a flying um, dinosaur. And she gave that specimen to Graham, who gave it to Victoria Arbor from the Royal BC Museum. And Victoria, who, she's an evolutionary biologist and paleontologist, and she's worked with uh, the Natural Sciences, Engineering Research Council, and she's a po uh, postdoctoral fellow um, of U of T, University of Toronto, and the Royal Ontario Museum. Anyway, she took a good long look at this and thought it was a pterosaur and she named it after Graham. But a story that will be funny for them in about 100 years, but charming for us now, is that it actually wasn't a pterosaur. So it was, it was bony material encased in stone, and you leave that for a while, and you mash up those bits, and it's really hard to tell a pterosaur from any other specimen when, the, when, the, when you haven't prepped it in full, and the bones are uh, not well preserved. Anyway, time goes on and those bones get um, prepped further and we discovered that it, it's actually a fish, an ambush predator, um, a cerodonated fish. And while it was originally named as a pterosaur and that name can never be used again, it's now been renamed and re-identified and is a significant find for Hornby Island. The other significant finds um, from last year, so from 2019, was by Dan Bowen, who is chair of the Vancouver Island Paleo Society. And he found some very interesting bones on in concretion on, on Collishaw Point. And he gave these to Jay Holly, who is a local fossil enthusiast and an amazing preparator. And he removed the matrix 
and inside we found bird bones. We thought they might be fish, we thought they might be another ceridonitid, but it turns out it is a bird. And uh, paleontologist Victoria Arbor was asked to put her keen lens on the discovery, and you'll appreciate that she took a good long look at the specimen, um, having mixed up the pterosaur and the bird in the past, and confirmed it that it is a bird, and that it might be a pterosaurus. So Hornby in its um, beautiful, beautiful scenic setting has birds, crabs, um, gastropods, baculites, and if I was choosing my favorite hornby specimen, even though a lot of people uh, sort of applaud the heteromorphs, the sort of slightly uncoiling ammonites that come from there, um, Pachydiscus suciensis would be my favorite specimen from those sites, and I found one in bedrock. Um, uh, a few years ago with all its original nature and it is hands down the sushiensis and the baculites and the big um, inoceramid clams I have one bigger than a dinner plate with all its original nature so when I think of Hornby that's what I think of so I hope you go there I hope you enjoyed our trip together I put a couple of uh, photos up on the Archaea blog so fossilhuntress.blogspot.com if you would like to see some photos, and I will talk to you very soon. Take care.